Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Thanks, guys. Man, grab your chairs. So good. I love what uh, Roy just said. If, if, if what Roy just said wasn't true, he'd have never sent his son while we were yet sinners. The gospel's good news. He never died on the cross to expose your sin. He died on the cross to remove your sin, to expose your value, your potential, and your destiny. He wanted to get the lie off of you so you could wear the truth. My whole life I was taught Jesus died on the cross because I'm a sinner. He wouldn't die to leave you a sinner. He wanted to die to make you a son, a daughter, to accept you in the Beloved and to fill you with His Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And yet we preach the Gospel as if our ability to fail makes us failures. No, Christ in you, the hope of glory, has the power to change your life. Amen? Amen? So you don't have to wake up with the same heart, guys. That's your choice. (laughs) Through the truth, He's given you a brand new one. You don't have to wake up and cop an attitude. That's your choice. You don't have to get angry and frustrated. You can, you can get a grip on that thing. And the Bible says you yourselves are to put off anger. It's not an order call. It's not pray for the spirit of anger to come off of me. No, it's your choice. You're taking life personal and you're judging people and you're getting trapped in self-righteousness. And you want everything to go the way you want it to go at the cost of everyone around you. That sounds like the fall of man. <laughs> Well, that's pretty sharp, but I'm smiling. I hope you know I'm not mad. <laughs> Come on, it's your choice. It's your choice. Here's what we're here for. We just sang it. Love, love, love. We're gathering ourselves together to stir one another up in love and good works. That's what the Bible teaches. The reason we gather is to stir one another in love and good works. Now listen, when I, when I say that anger thing, we got to understand that God, it's not the anger of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God. You and I know that we've done things less than truth. You and I know that we've done things we know we shouldn't have done. Even when we didn't know Jesus, we had a sense of conscience and knew what we were doing wasn't right. And we did it anyway. Jesus never changed His mind about you. He said, I know who you are. Here's my shed blood. Come to me. Come on, he never changed. Nobody ever came to God truly and sincerely, and he said, Oh, it's you. You've been bothering me a lot. You know, I wooed you about six months ago, and you've really put my heart through a lot of turmoil. In fact, I'm just not even sure where we stand anymore. I mean, it's good I don't slumber. I sure wouldn't have slept in the last six months. You know, you just, I just don't know. I mean, yeah, you're crying. I see your tears. Yeah, how do I know that's not just all about you? And now you get yourself in a jam. I mean, you know, you've done this before. I'm just, you just bother me. I'm not even, listen, I'm going to have a meeting with the 24 elders. I'll call you tomorrow. I'll just let you know where things are at. We felt that way towards each other. You'll never find God like that. If that sounds foolish in God's mouth, that ought to sound foolish in ours. We're made for His image. It's life that taught you to teach, talk any other way. It's, it's the world that taught you to be any other thing. He said, don't let anyone be your teacher. You have one teacher. And He's the Christ. If you didn't learn from Him the way you've become, the way you function and respond, probably ought to look at going through some new classes. Time with the Lord. 
Yeah. Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not, yeah, but, well, you don't know how I feel. How would you feel if they did that to you? See, if God said any of that, we wouldn't be celebrating what we celebrate this weekend. Be real with me. If God said any of that towards us, we, Jesus wouldn't be crucified. He'd just be upset with us and we'd be a mess. Love brings out the best in people. It's not anger that brings out the best. It's not reprimand. Honestly, I don't even believe you have the authority in God to correct people if you don't love people. If you just correct them because you're mad at them, you'll probably do more harm than good. God doesn't touch you because He's mad at you. I don't say the things I say like like Pastor said. I don't say the things I say to show you where you're not. So come up higher to show us where we're called. The way that seems right to man has taught every one of us from the time you can remember. From the time you were born, you were being taught by the fall of man, by the way that seems right. Nobody had to teach you when you were two. Mine! No! Nobody taught you that. Came through the fall. It's called every man for himself. Created value is every man's to love. Listen, when, when God made man, he made man in his image, so he made man to love. God is love. When man ate the tree, he cut himself off from the source of love and became bankrupt in desperate need of love, and every one of us was born into that lie. That's why we're always looking for approval. That's all where we always want somebody to compliment us. That's why we're always under the pressure to be accepted, acknowledged, appreciated. It's, just, it's almost like an addiction. It's, it's, it's like somebody that uses drugs. Your whole life, you're living to find yourself and feel valued. And some people crash and burn in that rat race. Some people feel like they're winning. Some people all live at the other people's expense just to get what they feel they need from others. It's just crazy what we've done in this thing called sin. It's more than committing an act of something you aren't supposed to do. It's you living in a false identity in a wrong way, from a wrong place, a wrong wisdom. It's misconduct of your life, your value, your destiny. It's touching each other wrong. If God made man in His image and God is love, then man was made to love. Not to hate and be angry and have issues and call on a counsel appointment and he said, she said, and tit for tat, and I'm only this way because they did that, and how would you feel if they did that to you? You're just justifying the fall of man, guaranteeing tomorrow's yesterday and nothing will ever change. And unless people do you right, you're not going to be all right, so you might as well sing their name when you sing Lord. (laughs) Because they're deciding who you are today. I'm not being mean, I'm being real. And all of a sudden, this wisdom that just justifies, it's the wisdom, it seems right, it seems right. And you run it by people that are going through the same thing and they feel the same way, and now you got support. It's not cool. Listen, we're here to stir ourselves up in love and good works. And we're not here for thunder and fireworks and lightning and, hey, I wonder how God's going to show up tonight. No, we're here to get further established, confirmed, and, and solidified in who we've become now that He came. And if that's not why we're Christians, we're going to miss the point. We'll probably get frustrated with God in, in, in a while. 
and we'll wonder why things aren't going good for us and what are we missing and why isn't he faithful? Do you know I drove in the car with a pastor a while back to lunch and he said, oh no, I don't read my Bible. He said, it reminds me how much God's failed. That's what he said. I said, what are you talking about? He was, I'm the wrong fellow to talk like that to <laughs> when I'm in the car. Actually, I'm the right fellow because I love you enough. I'm not going to let that blow over. I'm like, I was determined he was going to punch me in the mouth if he had to, but we were going to get this thing straightened out. I said, and I asked him why he's still pastoring. Well, he's still going through the motions. And then he explained his rationale. His whole eye was self-centered. He had God to serve him. He had God to do things. He was doing it all apart from love. And all of a sudden, he found fault with God. And in the rational mind of man, he took God to court. Found him guilty. In the rational mind of man. Then you bump into somebody else that prayed something and then you can go their way and all of a sudden they have issues with their relationship with God. Come on, you're using Him. He's not our genie in a bottle. He's our Father. <laughs> so we're going to lift both hands if the rent's paid and if it's not, our hands are in our pocket and we're drawing attention to ourselves and we want somebody to give us some money or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, you're trustworthy and you're faithful in God. I just thank you that you're the one that makes a difference in my life, etc., etc. You have this integrity in this relationship. It's not about what God can do for you. It's about how He can make you more like Him all along the way. You guys with me on this thing? Come on, stir up in love and good works. Here's the good news about the Gospel. God doesn't just want to save you and take you to heaven. He wants to put who He is inside of you. He wants to make you influential and you impacting in your life to where you have the ability to sow seeds into others like God sowed seeds into you. So I'm telling you and I promise you, your attitudes matter. Your opinions matter. You live in a family. It matters. Come on, it takes two to fight. It takes one to make peace. You have influence around you. You have young kids around you. You're a young child and you have younger kids looking up to you. Yeah, I'm telling you, your life matters so much. You have the greatest opportunity of life now that the kingdom of God has come to shine your light and let it so shine before man. Your attitudes matter. Paul said, for the sake, I suffer and endure all things. I endure all things. It's, it's 2 Timothy. I endure all things for the sake of... You think he would have said Christ. Sounds spiritual, we would have understood. I endure all things for the sake of Christ. Boy, we can all buy into that. No, he didn't say that. He said, I endure all things for the sake of the people, for the elect. I want my life to matter and I want to be an example and something they can pattern and follow. I don't want to just write about something. I want them to see it in my life. And if somebody's struggling, I want them to think of me and say, wait a minute, this can be possible because I know Paul. Wait a minute, I'm done being downtrodden. I'm done letting this hit me so hard because I know what my brother's been through and I haven't seen joy slip in his life and I see love all over him. And all of a sudden, your life really matters to people. Two weeks ago, I was in a church. They invited all the children up to, to dismiss them to children's church and everybody prayed over and the pastor. Just, and I looked at these kids and I had a God moment. I started to cry uncontrollably and I was supposed to preach in five minutes. I don't know why he does that to me. I'm already a mess. When I get up here, I'm trying to hold together. Because this thing's real. He shed his blood for it. He died. He put himself in a body, guys. I said it last night. He came through the womb of a woman. He had to be totally dependent on her. She nursed him. Come on, he had to poop in little raggy things. They didn't have pampers. <laughs> He's God of the universe and he had to mess his pants. 
I think about that. He's God of the universe, and he had to be hungry and get fed, and he had to poop. That's nasty. He's God, and he puts on flesh, knowing he's going to have to live like a man and go everything through everything a man has to go through when you don't have to. But love says he has to, because he says, I can't leave you the way you are because it's not who you are. And I'm going to come and ultimately become what you were on that cross so you can become what I am and what you've always been created to be. Mine. In my love and in my spirit. What a gospel. See what's wrong with me? I believe that. And if I really believe that, I don't have time for issues. He said, she said, has long passed. Well, yeah, but I feel... It has nothing to do with how I feel. It's what I've become. And what I've become starts to dictate how I feel. If how you feel doesn't produce life challenge how you feel, you might have been taught that by the lie. There might be a change of feelings ahead for you. Come on, if you're always just how you feel, you're just a feeling away from not being okay. Feeling away from feeling lonely. A feeling away from not being loved. And yet Christ is crucified and raised from the dead. Come on, that's the fall of man. You live by the flesh and you live in sensuality. No, we live by the Spirit now. We've denied the flesh. We've picked up our cross. We're following Him. So does He love me? Absolutely. How do you know? He died on the cross. (laughs) Well, I don't feel loved. You are loved! Well, I don't feel it, brother. Lay your hand right here. (laughs) No! Believe it! I lay hands right there and then you get fuzzy and warm and go, oh wow, He does love me. Then you'll need fuzzy and warm to believe it. And if you don't feel fuzzy and warm, you'll wonder where He is, what you did wrong, and why you guys ain't happening right now. Faith is a powerful place because it overrides all sensuality. Don't get mad at faith. You ought to be glad we're honored to live by faith because it crushes the things of the flesh. Faith is just believing. He loves me. I'm clean. I'm free. He doesn't scowl when he looks at me. He smiles and opens up his arms. I come boldly into his presence. My face is unveiled. I'm forever pure in his sight. I'm wholly blameless. I'm above reproach. I believe it. Because I believe it, I have great audience with Him and great relationship with Him. If I believe anything else, I put a veil over my face. I kind of gray out and drift away from intimacy. And I get reduced to serving the Lord because I don't have relationship with the Lord. Now I'm a concubine. I bump into Him now and then. I serve Him and take care of His needs for His kingdom. And every once in a while, He calls me into His chambers. That's a concubine. The king just called my name. He's calling your name every day. You're not his servant, you're his bride. (laughs) Stir ourselves in love and good works. What's love? What's love? You want to look at love? 1 Corinthians 13, let's look at love quick. I want to stir your heart, guys. This weekend's amazing what we remember and what we think about. This is not thank God that our names are in the book of life and one day we're going to heaven when this trumpet blows that He's going to blow. I'm thankful for that. He said don't rejoice that the demons... That's just keeping you in a place of humility and understand it's the kingdom in you that's giving you authority. It's not you. 
So you don't rejoice that the demons are, you rejoice that your name is in the book of life. What he's saying is, you rejoice in what you've become a part of and who you've become in him so that that's your identity. Don't get caught up in giftings and get on a power trip and don't get caught up in this and this and this. You get caught up in the fact that he has never failed to see you through what he created you be and love has never failed concerning you. You get caught up in that. Amen? Now listen, the whole purpose of the kingdom is that not that He loves us, and not even that we receive His love, but that we become it through being loved, receiving love. The next step for the Christian is becoming that love. So what's first? We don't first love Him. He first. And because He first loved us, our hearts are like, wow, I get this. I wasn't doing anything right, but you saw what was possible. I had a wrong attitude, and you know I could walk in truth. I was living in a lie and going down into left field and out of bounds and, and way off, and you knew I had destiny, and you never let that change. And no matter how far I drifted, you stayed rock solid, no turning, shifting, or shadow, and you drew me and you wooed me, and you never let my life determine who you are. You let who you are determine my life, and you brought me home. That's love. Come on, there was days we had attitudes that were so pitiful and we knew better. There was days we were hurting the folks around us and we knew it and we didn't even seem to care. Sometimes we even added fuel to that fire. I know I played that with my wife. She'd give me the silent treatment. I'd be like, honey, honey. And then when i get her attention, I'd turn around and do the same thing to her and she'd be, honey, honey. And we just did that silly psychological thing back and forth. It's just craziness. Nobody's winning. You look at the average talk show on TV today. I turned one on about two years ago because the Lord said He wanted to teach me and show me something. And I'm like, I am not turning a talk show on, am I? And He said, I just want you to look for a moment. I found this talk show. I won't say who the host was. It doesn't matter. Pretty much of them are probably pretty much bad. But I flipped this thing on and it was, it was a, a, a relational situation on the platform. They got security guards keeping each other from beating each other up. You got ladies crying and screaming. You got the lady he's sleeping with. You got his wife everybody's just chaotic and you got an audience playing God and they're expressing their emotions you got victims you got villains and everybody's losing and then the talk show host gives his encouragement gets sentimental and gets rosy with his words and everybody claps and ooh and they're bawling and there's no hope for restoration of anyone's heart they're a product of the sin and that's the way it'll stay unless Jesus comes in it's just true I watched it and I went, you got to be kidding me, it's that bad. I couldn't even imagine that somebody even watches those things and gets their hearts entangled in that stuff. Look, I don't talk like this ever, but I don't do much of what I did last night. But I'm saying this, if you're watching that and you're born again, man, recheck what you're doing and please stop that. Don't feed yourself with that craziness. There's no life there. You're going to actually dull your senses and dull your spiritual revelations and you're actually the way that seems right to man. You're feeding it as you're paying homage to God. It's, don't do that. I, I don't normally talk like this and forgive me, I'm not trying to be controlling, but man, there's nothing there. I just felt while I was talking like that, oh my goodness, there's somebody in here, you're, you're actually, you, you, you watch them things and get caught up in them talk shows. Everybody's stuff. Come on, if you can't breathe life into it, why do we need to view it and judge who's wrong and who's right and get our emotions all caught up? God doesn't sit there and do that. 
God doesn't look at life and go, oh my gosh. (laughs) Man, please don't do that. I don't normally talk that sharp, but ah. look, if you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow into the spirit of the spirit, you'll reap life. Feed your spirit. Feed your understanding. Amen? Call that flesh crucified. Look, you should cry for the whole mess when that stuff's out there being portrayed. Know that everybody has a better destiny than what they're giving themselves to. Here's the deal. If you get hurt in your life by someone that was close to you, and you never recognize that that has nothing to do with the truth about who you are, and that they can't change this if this is real, then you'll see this clear and it'll never dictate your life down the road, no matter how traumatic, unfair, or unjust it was. Well, I know people that go to church all the time and get shattered by one another, and it's five years later, it's still their story, the heartbreak of their life, and people are saying, well, I'm not being insensitive when I say this. You're letting five years be robbed with a false identity. You're letting what they did or didn't do determine who you are, and the whole time Jesus is Lord and has a greater way. It's called love and mercy and forgiveness. And even if you can't make peace with that person, it says as much as it depends on you, you be at peace with all men. So you can't say you you don't know what they did to me. If God said that, we're toast. You come to Him to repent and He says, do you have any idea what you've done to me? They hit Jesus again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Till he didn't look like him. That's Bible. He was marred more than any of the sons of men. Yesterday, according to our celebration of history and just something we commemorate on the weekend, we just pull a weekend, this is what we look at and we honor and recognize. Yesterday, in, in, in a way long time ago day, they hit him again and again and again. Till he lost his appearance. And he was completely innocent and did nothing wrong. Never opened his mouth. Never said, I can't believe you're hitting me. I can't believe you're letting them hit me, God. Why are you letting them hit me? It shouldn't have to be this bad. Look, I took the 39 stripes. Now, why do you have to just do that? He never got, he never just said, if you hit me with that stick one more time. Like a sheep to the slaughter. He didn't say a word. Why? He's teaching us something at the same time he's paying for something. He's showing us what love looks like. And he gets hung on that cross and he says, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. What he's saying is, if they really saw, they wouldn't be living that way. And if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me, for I am the light of the world. He's the truth. And if truth comes, men can finally see. If you don't sow truth, there's no hope for freedom. 
If you don't live in truth, you're not putting anything in the seeds of your relationship, in the a seed form into the hearts of your relationships. If you're married and you're not seeking truth, how can you impart truth? If you're not building your heart up in truth, how can you see through it? If you're not filling your heart with truth, how can you recognize a lie? Light exposes darkness. And all things are removed through the light. Exposed and removed. So when you look at the life of Jesus, you're looking at the light of the world. When you're looking at the life of Jesus, you're looking at the truth. Man, I honor Him. So when I see how He conducted His life and I see how He lived through the earth, I think, oh my... He didn't tell me to pray to Him when I'm needy. He didn't tell me to just ask Him for peace when I'm unsettled. He told me to deny myself, pick up my cross, and follow Him. His decree to me was, hey, you can follow me. Come on. We turned it into a prayer to go to heaven. We turned it into an answer for blessings. We turned it into a way to pray to get more money or something. I don't know what we do. But He said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That's what this weekend's all about. If you don't deny yourself, you'll never pick up your cross. What's picking up your cross? Not ever letting injustice against your life and trials and circumstances define who you are, but overcome evil with good. Never repay evil for evil. Never become a product of what you're going through. Always stand as a product of what He went through so that you can overcome. Your life is defined by His finished work not how someone just treated you. Look, I'm sorry people do what they do to each other. I'm sorry that husbands get distracted and wives feel unfulfilled so they find somebody that's saying the thing their husband's not. That stuff happens. All it is is a sign of how much we need Him. That doesn't mean get the sin out of your life. I'm talking need Him to find who we really are because only in Him is true fullness. You guys with me? Come on, I'm not here. I'm not spanking you. This isn't a mean message. This is stirring us in love and good works. Look, if we, if we don't preach this stuff, we're going to miss why He came. We're just going to preach sentimental stuff and we're just going to pray stuff up here and hope we feel good. Come on, man. He came to show us what love looked like to introduce us to love and get us back to love so love could flow through us. Now here's what love is. It's amazing. 1 Timothy 1.5 says the whole goal of our instruction is love. The whole purpose of the commandment is love. If we miss love, we've missed the whole point. <laughs> I don't have time to have an attitude towards you. Jesus loves me. <laughs> that means I'm going to love you. Look, if I see myself the way He does, I get a real good look at you. Do you know how many people are in self-consciousness even though they're Christians? More aware of their weakness, introspecting their life, troubleshooting, judging themselves, fault-finding, getting critical with their own heart. Why would you do that? Because your heart's actually pure. And you're being deceived and you're coming up with negative resumes and you think you're not living up to what you're convicted by. So you introspect yourself for weakness. Well, if you do that, then you look through that eye, then you see what's weak in others. If you're not careful, that dulls your heart and you say, oh, well, I'm not the only one with problems. Everybody else has their issues. It's good He still loves us. 
And all of a sudden, you're not even convicted anymore because you're looking through this eye and you're accepting that this is just the way we are. It just gets weird. No, I can follow him. I can go to bed with a clear conscience. I can get up and be loved by him and love him and love you. I promise you. I can walk in a room and not have judgments in my heart and first impressions that are derogatory. I can live without being self-righteous. Every mountain's brought down, every valley's lifted up. I can walk in a room and see that everybody has the same price tag on in the store of humanity. Everyone's worth the same price. There's no barcodes or price checks. There's not one worth a little blood and one worth a lot more blood. There's not one that needs a whole lot of Jesus and one needs a little bit of Jesus. We all need His mercy. And we're all saved by His grace. And when you look at the store of humanity, young or old alike, we have all cost the same because we all have the same value. Christ revealed. Christ expressed. Christ multiplied within your world called your sphere of influence. Every one of us. You all have the same redeeming price. That makes us all the same. We all have the same value. There's not a hot shot among us and there's not a low life. I promise you, if you're thinking you're more insignificant than others, you're being deceived by the devil and you'll live that way. The tree gets mystified and the fruit is according to the deception. And you pull back instead of press in. Come on, if you make a tree good, fruit's good. If you see yourself the way he does, the fruit's automatic. You don't have to try to live right. I'm trying, brother. That's probably a problem. Why don't you just be? What do you mean? Just be his. Just be settled in your heart that you didn't wake up for you today. Just get on your knees when nobody's looking and surrender yourself and say, Lord, I'm done with attitudes that are unprofitable, things that cost others. Love lays down its life. I'm done living at the expense of people. I'm done letting my attitude bring hurt, pain, and harm on the ones around me. I'm done carrying issues. I'm done drawing attention to myself in that weird way. Just pouting, just throwing a fit. (laughs) Psychologically playing your spouse to get their sympathy. Stop it. It just reveals you need to know Jesus more. And depending on how your spouse responds, responds, it might mean the same for them too. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) Or you might be helping them get formed in Christ. I don't know. But that's not your calling. (laughs) Your calling is not to stretch them and grow them. Your calling is to love them. (laughs) Hello? Boy, God's really using me. <laughs> no, no, that's not God. <laughs> Are you guys all right? It's getting a little lighthearted because this is coming out more intense than I ever expected, but I hope you're hearing my heart in this. I mean, I'm smiling the whole time. You know I'm not mad at you, right? Do you know I'm not mad at you? Come on, listen, I'm going to drive home in another day or so, and I'm going to just go on and live in Jesus, but I came here because you matter. I'm not here because I have to be. I hunted turkeys with Roy this week. I really wanted to do that. That would be fun. The only reason I'm preaching here because he said, would you? And I said, of course, I, I want to. It's sure not for an honorarium. <laughs> I'm here because you're here and we're a family and we have destiny and your region matters and your life matters, your family matters. And if what I'm saying is really true, then I'd have a heart to cry it out and hope someone hears 
Hope that somebody here makes a change. Even if your spouse doesn't want to, you can start with Jesus. You could say, I'm done fighting, I'm making peace. And then you don't press them with your change and say, well, I'm done fighting, I'm making peace. You need to come along with me and be holy like me. (laughs) No, you just stop fighting back. You just start covering things with love. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is what you had coming to you. You pushed me too far. Man, if God ever said that to us, come on. Look, Jesus didn't teach us to think that way. Sin did. The fall of man did. Do you understand that when Adam ate the tree, he didn't just sin? His nature changed. He took on the nature of God's enemy. That's why when a man gets saved, he gives him a new heart. That's why you get your mind renewed. You're no longer conformed to the world because you're out of it. You get it? Your mind's renewed. You get your mind renewed. He put a new heart in you. He took the old heart out and put a new one in. You're born again as if you never lived before. All things become new. It says you put off the old man and his deeds. There's two chapters that talk about all the ways that flesh and mind apart from God work. It says it's all dead. You put it all away and you live to the things of the Spirit and everything you've become in Christ. You put that on. And now that you're enlisted by Him, you no longer entangle yourself in the affairs of this life. This gospel is not about God getting us through the day. It's about Him making us look like Him in our day. Yeah. If it's just about Him making it through the day, then you're coming home praying that God changes your boss because you feel defiled and you don't know why He lets you work there and you're wondering how much He loves you because you thought He'd get you a new job by now. And that's a legitimate prayer to people. Just keep praying I get a new job. I don't know why God keeps me here. I feel so defiled. The boss, he just talks so, oh, it's so dirty. I'm just so tired. If I hear another F word, I think I'm just going to quit. <laughs> God's hearing the F word. He's like, oh. Come on, I've prayed for people in parking lots. on A man on a sidewalk, he's hobbling down and I stop the car. Hey, can I pray for you? What's going on, man? Tore my ACL. Let's just pray. Praise. He starts walking down the sidewalk. He's like, are you blanking kidding me? And I went, no, it's not a joke. He said, what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. Someone did a long time ago. He's my king and he loves you. His name is Jesus. See? But watch this. He didn't be like, you know, oh yeah, man, I tore my ACL. Let's pray. What? What the blank? Whoa! That is not what happened. It's amazing that's not what happened. You know? Wouldn't that be something? You know, God's like, and he's healed. And he says, what the blank? Oh, hits the reverse button. And he looks at Jesus. Can you believe his language? I just healed him and he's cursing. Well, I'd have took it back from him too, Lord. I'm glad you did. You, you, uh, <laughs> Sometimes we look at people's lives in critical eye and we're like, man, they need to change this, need to change that. God wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. No, you wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. God's waiting to touch them through you if you change your mind. 
No. Ooh. <laughs> 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 I was like, <laughs> See how lighthearted we are? See how we're laughing? It's anesthesia. It's Holy Ghost anesthesia. He's cutting your heart and you don't feel the pain. It's good. He doesn't want you heavy. He doesn't want, to want you walking out here burdened with the truth. He wants you going, duh. Right? He just wants you like, repentance looks so cool. It, I mean, you just, it's like repentance isn't like, I'm so, I've been missing it for so long. <laughs> and some of us are thinking because we're not crying like that, we have something wrong and we need to repent. Repentance is just change your mind. Duh, what was I thinking? Duh, I'm done thinking that. I'm not thinking that anymore. Like, wow, everything's changed. God, you put, you put things in such clear, wow, this is simple. I can walk this way because you're in me. Yay, I yield to you. Come on, that's repentance. I mean, what's the truth look like making a man free? <gasps> right? I mean, it doesn't have to look that flaky, but it's just the light coming on. It's not some mystical thing. It's not a blue mist hovering over the sanctuary and falling on a several few, and now their lives are changed forevermore. <laughs> It's you being his disciple. Disciple means a wholehearted follower. You didn't wake up for you, your feelings, your emotions, or your friend's opinion. You woke up for the will and glory of God, the nature of God. You woke up to love because that's what he is. Right? Yeah. Man, come on. And then you just give yourself to him and you walk this thing out. Oh. By faith. <laughs> Let me just go here. I'm getting excited. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so intense. All, oh, I'm not sorry. Like, sorry. <laughs> what I mean is, I'm not taking back anything I'm saying. I just don't mean to overwhelm anybody. This, he shed his blood for us. I'm not trying to put some militant fear thing on you. What I'm saying is that it matters to me that God put on flesh. He's making a strong statement about humanity. He thinks we're worth something. Guys, he thinks everything can change. He's either on a real trip and needs some ministry, or he knows what we can be. He's either in really serious denial and needs a good counselor, or he is the counselor. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people say, well, I wish I can't wait till I get to see God. I got a few things I ask Him. You have no clue. You don't know Him. (laughs) Only by His mercy you'll be able to stand there. Come on in that kind of attitude. Ah. See why I'm preaching this way? The reason we assemble ourselves together and don't forsake the gathering of ourselves is to stir one another love and good works. Of course there's encouragement, there's synergistic worship, there's a lot of other things we can tag on to that, but the Bible says the reason we gather is stay fixed on the reason why we are who we've become. The world does not need confessing Christians. Little Christ-like folks. Little Christ-like folks. Disciplined learner, wholehearted follower. Remember, I was talking about truth setting you free. If you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. 
Not if you continue in your feelings, emotions, yesterday's memories, friend's opinion. You continue in my word. I'm, I'm telling you, I've heard way too many yell butts in my pastoral life. And also my Christian life. Way too many yell butts. We're cheating ourselves with yell butt. Yeah, but Dan, you don't understand. Well, that works for you, but you don't quite know my situation. And you keep validating what's not helping you. You validate your emotions at the cost of truth, and you push away from the answer and validate where you are, assuring you'll stay there. You say, yeah, but you don't know what my wife did. What does that have anything to do with what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about what your wife did. I'm talking about what Jesus did to make you who you are. Why are you letting what your wife did define you? You say, yeah, but she left me. Why aren't you crying for her? Yeah, but she's with another man. Man, that should break your heart for her. She must really be out there in a wrong place. Yeah, but she cheated on me. No, 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 stop that. It's not about you. What do you mean? See, we don't talk like that in the church, and we don't even relate to it. And when somebody does, we get about half mad because we're so trained by life and lies. Come on. Yeah, but she cheated on me. She broke my heart. She broke covenant, brother. I don't know if I could ever trust her again. Well, you're not supposed to trust flesh and blood. You're supposed to trust Jesus and give your whole life to one another. Greater love hath no man in this. He laid down his life for another. He didn't say if he got prenuptials and made sure that the person bought in and signed a thing that they never heard him or do him wrong. Just lay down your life and get it over with. You'll finally be free. The biggest weight is carrying the care for yourself through life. You're vulnerable to everybody and everything when you live for yourself. That's why Jesus said to deny it first. The first thing is deny yourself. It's the biggest problem on the planet. It's not the devil, and it's not your best friend that messed you up. It's not your spouse that did you wrong. Your biggest enemy is thinking for yourself every day. Come on, I need to tell you that because it's all through Scripture. James said if you're thinking for yourself... Stop boasting, lying against the truth. This wisdom didn't come from God. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And where there's self-centered seeking, there's confusion in every evil work present. And then you're asking why God's letting all this stuff happen, and He's not. You're a personal invitation to it. You're in your bedroom praying for your spouse to change from a self-centered place of frustration and rebuking the devil and inviting him in the same breath. It's scriptural. Come on, this thing is real. You think you're in control when you're in that place sometimes when you're mad, frustrated, angry, and you're sure you're right, and you tell four friends the story, and they go, I can't believe they did that. How are you doing? Hey, I'm all right, but hey, yeah, I know my, I can't, I don't, I don't blame you for feeling that way. That's the last thing you need people to encourage you in. The whole time you're doing that, you think you're in control, and you're being controlled by the thing that's making you feel that way. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. Come on, something's out there trying to own you, fashion you, and decide who you are. No one's driving the car, I promise you. Nobody personally is driving their own car. You do, do you realize what I'm saying? In other words, you're not your own man or woman. Something's influencing you and dictating and deciding where you're living from. It's just the truth about life and created value. No man is in and of himself living. 
It's like the story I heard of the man, he's on the fence because he looks around, there's a sea of people and he looks and he sees this man in a white robe with, with long hair and fiery eyes and he goes, whoa. And he looks over and he sees this other guy and he doesn't look as cool as this guy. He, he doesn't look like he has life and, and he's rounding people up and going around and separating the crowds and this guy's rounding people up and he's looking and he looks and he sees this big fence start to come in between the two crowds and the guy's like, well, I know I don't want to be with him. And, well, I don't even know. I don't, I'm just, I don't want either one. I just want to live my own life. And he jumps up on the fence. And everybody disappears. And he's like, whoo, that was cool. That worked. Yay, they're all gone. And all of a sudden, this one that comes that doesn't look so cool, you know who he is, right? He shows up and he looks and he sees him and he's looking around and he goes, oh, there you are. He says, hey, pal, I didn't choose him. And I didn't choose you. I got on the fence. He said, the fence is mine. And it all disappeared. That's a sobering story. Because yeah. it's, 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 it's life or death. It's light or dark. You're either for me or against me, gather to me or scatter. That's not a mean, condemning phrase. What he's saying is, this thing is so cut and dry, you're either living for me and the reason you're created, or you're working against me and the reason you're created. That's what he's saying. You either gather to me or you scatter. There's no halfway in. There's no halfway out. We have to teach this thing clear and stop making it about our benefit. We have to teach this thing for what it's really all about. It's new life through Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm born again. I put off the old man. He said, don't lie to one another. Why? Because you put off the old man and his deeds. And you put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to his image. That's what it says in Colossians 3. Nobody taught me that. They just taught me that I should be good and try not to do bad things and make sure I come to church because Jesus is coming and you want to be on the right side when He comes. When He shows up, you don't want to be sinning. You want to be in church. <laughs> That's the way I was taught growing up. It was all about heaven or hell. It wasn't about God loves you and you have destiny and potential and He wants to put His Spirit in you. Nobody ever told me that the cross revealed my value. They just said it revealed my sin. No, it takes away my sin. He's the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Well, now that He took it away, now what? guess we probably ought to be His. <laughs> Come on, if He forgave us of all unrighteousness and cleansed us of all sin, now what? I guess we ought to be accepted in the Beloved and wear righteousness and look good in Christ and look good to others. <laughs> Or maybe we just talk religious and go to church and have the same issues of people that don't even believe in God. And then we stumble them, stumble ourselves, and after 2,000 years, we wonder why he even did what he did. It's no big deal. It's a theology. Wrong. <laughs> Come on. I'm laughing on purpose so nobody leaves yet. <laughs> I didn't come here tonight to spank you. I came to cheer you on. Don't you let anything own your heart but the truth of who He is in you. 
Come on, you don't, don't, I said it last night and I'm saying it again and it feels strong in my heart. You don't need attitudes and opinions that are detrimental to your identity and to the identity of others. It's not Jesus. Stop it. Pride does that. The fall of man taught you that. Hmm. Well, let me tell you what I think. That might not be so important. No, I'm not being me. And I'm not being proud and arrogant when I say that. We need to reduce that thing down to what it really is. Maybe that's not what's important. Maybe what God's saying is what's important. And maybe it's right here. And maybe it's not what I'm saying tonight. Maybe I'm just saying what this is saying. You get the tape or the CD and you'll see that I quoted a whole lot of scriptures. Maybe I found what I'm saying here. Maybe I found it in Him. Come on, guys. Either for me or against me, you gather to me or scatter. That's not intense, legalistic, hardcore language that we need to twist and pervert to make ourselves at ease. That's just him saying, you're either thinking in a way that benefits my cause or you're thinking in a way that's going against the grain. You're either walking with me or you're pushing against me. You could be singing songs in His name with both hands raised and have your mindset, your motives, and your perspective working against the kingdom. You could pastor and be hurt like the man that doesn't pastor, and it doesn't have to be that way. Do you know how many pastors think that ministry has to have its toll and take its toll and cost you everything and you got to pay some crazy price to be a pastor and people are going to take advantage of you and you got to keep your heart in this place and guard and shield and every once in a while go get rehabbed. and We let men's experiences become our reality and we stop following Jesus. Jesus is at a table. His idea on the night he was betrayed was give his body and give his blood and promise covenant to all men. The very ones that were about ready to betray him that were saying, we'll die for you. And there was no way. They all ran. He knew it. He saw it coming. And on the night he was betrayed, the Bible says it on purpose. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it in the cup and he cut covenant with men. On the night we're betrayed, we cry and call a friend and wonder why. I'm just saying. (laughs) Jesus didn't teach us to respond that way. Life did. Jesus showed us how to respond. Come on, Jesus didn't have the bread in hand and He looks across to Judas and that's a pretty hard one. And then He glances over at Peter and He's like, and then John has his head laying right here and he's like, (laughs) come on. And he's like, you know you guys. Now his lips trembling and he's emotional. I've poured myself into you for how long now? And you all say you're going to die tonight for me, but you're all liars. Hey, one of you going to die. How can I die for you if you're not going to die for me? Look, if you're not ready to give and pull your weight, I'm not pulling mine. Come on, we're in this together. <laughs> you don't see that stuff in Jesus. Sitting out in the rock at night praying. I just don't think anybody loves me. (laughs) Look, be honest with me. The only reason a man can feel that way is because man sinned and fell from God and got cut off. So let's get grafted back in. What do you say? Let's get back in the vine. Rooted and grounded in 
love. That's not just God's love for us. That's us becoming the same thing to others. That's how the kingdom of God is multiplied. It's the parable of parables. The kingdom of God is if a man scatters seed. You're all seed sowers. It's the parable of the seed sower. You think, well, he's just talking about Jesus. Well, then read the very end. The good ground is 30, 60, and 100 fold. What's he talk about? Reproduction, same kind as. What he became through the sower that sowed into him, now he sowed and he's multiplied 30, 60, and 100 fold. This thing is all about reproducing after its own kind. The first law, seed time and harvest time. One seed fell to the ground, died, sprung up, and he's bearing much fruit, firstborn among many brethren. As he is, so are we in this world. They're all scriptures. That's amazing. See, I'm inspired to pursue love because I look at him. Not because somebody's saying, you better love. No, I look at him. He's my model for life. He impresses me. He's not just my savior. He's my model for life. He shows me what life looks like. I wouldn't even know what life looks like if I couldn't see Jesus. It says we beheld him in grace and truth. Come on, we saw him. And when we saw him, we saw the Father. <gasps> so what? We just want blessed by him? Stay selfish in some ways? Stay judgmental towards others? We just want forgiven of everything we've ever done? But we want to hold each other accountable? Well, somebody's got to hold them accountable, brother. Not you, friend. Chill. Just. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a place for correction and discipline, but don't correct your children because they're wrong. Correct them because they're more than that. Don't just set them straight. There's no love in that. Don't just say, well, if I told you once, I told you a hundred times, get to your room. Come on. You sit them down and say, Johnny, listen to me, honey. You know I've told you this several times, right? Now listen, you have to understand that I'm not mad at you. I care for you and you're so much more than this. It's imperative for the sake of family and because of who you are and what God has in store for you that you begin to respond this way and function as a family. And and young man, I need to, and even if you have to cancel something out or discipline in a way, it's never because you're expressing your frustration and hostility toward him. He always has the understanding that you're adjusting him and that these actions pay a price. These things cause pain. And it's always about him, and he's always more than what he's given himself to. That's the reason you discipline children. Guess what we do? Just scream at them because we're at a wit's end, and we say, hey, it's been a long day at work, and we justify our flesh. And then you hear somebody like this preaching, and then you get condemned and let the devil say, boy, you're blowing it as a parent. You sure blew it, and you probably prefer to Johnny now. (laughs) Rather than say, wow, I'm getting answers. I need to stop touching Johnny that way. Maybe I need to sit him down and say, buddy, I've touched you in the last year or so in a way at times where I realize God's showing me that I've been angry. And I want you to know God's never angry with you. You're not failing Him. He's calling you into destiny. He loves you with an unfailing love. And He's putting that love in your daddy. And I'm telling you, forgive me, I'm telling you, I'm done yelling at you, bud. When I correct you, I want you to know I know your life's more than what you're giving yourself to. And I care about your life so much that I'm going to help you, adjust you, and impart things to you. I'm not going to let you just run rampant. You have a life in front of you that's called of God, and it's awesome, and I'm going to help encourage you in that. There's just a place for that with weeping as a parent because I know I've touched Johnny wrong. Come on. Do all things, all things, without grumbling and complaining. It doesn't say some. Do all without grumbling and complaining. Why? So you can be seen as an innocent, harmless child in the midst of a perverse generation. 
What he's talking about is letting your life matter and influence in the hearts of men. It's the parable of the seed sower that your life is sowing seeds into the hearts, conscience, and mind of others. What I'm talking about is not failure. Don't weigh yourself to see if you're passing what I'm preaching. Let your heart come into a place of saying, yeah, I want this life. That sounds a whole lot better than screaming at my kid. Come on. What, what, what are we accomplishing, guys, if we just, holy, and we have the greatest worship, and it's like awesome, man. And you go, is it Merle? What's your name? What's your name? Oh, Scott, your, your brother's Merle. Yeah, yeah, okay. I had Merle in my mind. It's Scott. I liked you up here, Scott, today. He was pumped. He was just on it, right? So who knows that's fun. And it's easy to just get in the flow and say, hey, this guy... This is pretty awesome. He's really happy and sincere about all this. I think he believes what he's singing, and all of a sudden you believe what you're saying. It's just good. You guys are leading us to the place. So watch this. So we're, we're, we're worshiping, and now I'm into it, right? And I'm like, holy, holy. And I mean, we're doing church now. So we're charismatic. We're not stiff-necked. We're not religious. Jesus might even like coming here. You know, that's what we're thinking. That's what we're thinking. <laughs> you know, we're thinking, wow, you're really here, Lord. That's, you're probably not down the street. You're here, you know. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you get in your car and you're going to lunch. And there's true animosity in the car over where you're going to eat because so-and-so chose last week. And when do I ever get to pick? And why do we always have to go and get what you want? It happens all the time. And we think it's so normal. And you're teaching yourself to live for yourself at the cost of others. Come on, we live in a country that's so amazing. Who cares where you eat? You ought to be thankful, man. You ought to be thankful there's food on every corner. And all of a sudden, we're just animosity in the car, and we just, holy, holy. And we're just, eh. and kids in the back seat. <laughs> Parents look in the mirror, hey, knock it off. <laughs> Come on. It's, it's amazing what we do sometimes and teach ourselves religion and don't even realize what's happening. Listen, I'm not being mean. I'm not being mean. Please bear this. If, if, you, if you aren't pursuing Christ-likeness in your home, it's not cool to take your family to church and take your kids to church and not pursue Christ-likeness because what you're doing without realizing is you're teaching your children at a very young age that Christianity is church attendance. Instead of Christ-likeness. So everything we sing about and talk about isn't real because it's never at home. It's never in our lives. Come on. And all of a sudden, inadvertently, without realizing it, this isn't condemning, it's sobering. It's like, whoa. It's Christ-likeness. It's not perfection. There's a place for humility and repentance. There's a place to actually repent to your kids. There's a place for kids to repent to their parents. We can walk this love thing out. We can honor one another. We can in our own hearts say, I'm never throwing an attitude in my house that's detrimental to my family. You wouldn't do it, Jesus, and it's not going to be found in me. You can settle on that. And if you cross the line and slip, you'll know it immediately because of your inner heart towards the Lord. And you can deal with that, make peace with everybody, and walk wiser and sharper. Next thing, a year goes by and people are like, that's the most amazing kid on the planet. Nope, it's just one that surrendered and yielded and is becoming what's possible because of the grace of God and to Him be all the glory. Yeah? yeah? Come on, guys. Why don't you want that resume? Why do you just need to be right? 
and just gets her way in the moment. You're just teaching your flesh to rage. And you're setting yourself up to be disappointed by everyone around you that you say you love. And at best then we'll do church and miss the point. What, what's it matter if we come here every week and we live like a man in a situation where we're challenged that doesn't even believe in God or that doesn't go to church? If our mindset is the same as the person that won't come to church, what have we accomplished? We've missed why we come. We come to stir ourselves up in love and good works and stay fixed on why he came. Come on, guys. And it's a happy day. That's freedom. The freest day of my life is when I died to me. Oh, I've had joy for 20 years because I haven't considered me for 20 years. You don't have to believe me. I haven't felt sorry for myself. A little window of five minutes about 15 years ago, I went up to my bedroom and I felt sorry for myself over something that was going on and it was relentless and it started to get me. And I laid on my face and I said, Lord, would you just show mercy? It was a pitiful cry. It's a place I'm never at. And it was a pitiful prayer. And the Lord shook me, laying on the floor, and he said, what are you doing on your face praying for mercy? Stand to your feet. You're a man of faith. And I went, yes, sir. It was almost like... I was ready, man. It shook me out of that. And I thought, never again. You don't have to believe me. I'm not asking you to believe me. But but five minutes to my awareness and my convictions, five minutes in 20 years, I've been sorry for myself. And God shook me out of it because I asked him to father me all the time. Say, I just want to love you and represent you. I don't want to walk in anything less than you've empowered. I don't want one drop of grace that you paid for to miss my life. You fashion me and you make me what's possible. You let me look through your eyes and live from the inside of your heart. I want to see life from your view. I give myself to you. That's prayer. Yeah, it's 20 years I've been living like that and talking like that and driving my car. Thanks for fathering me. I so appreciate you fathering me. Thank you for your wisdom. I receive it, God. Thank you, because it says if you ask, he'll give it, and it's without reproach if you don't doubt in your heart. Yeah. Come on, if you gave me your son, you'll sure give me wisdom. If you shed your blood, you'll give me wisdom if I want it and you want to use it right, right? Come on, I've settled a long time ago in my heart. I'm not going to live at the detriment of the people in my home. I'm not going to live as a detriment to families and relationships and friends around me. I'm not going to set an example less than Christ set for me. I'm not going to put that in a young person's eyes. I'm not going to put that in a young person's heart. And if I think I failed, I'm going to... God, I was driving home one day years ago from a conversation with a man. And he said, Dan... You spoke in spite of him and you judged him. You looked down on him when you spoke. You saw him as less than where you're at. And I said, Whoa. I didn't even realize it. And the Lord showed me. And I went, ah. and I couldn't deny it when he showed me. And when I told him what I told him, it wasn't that I told him anything wrong, but I told him from the wrong place. And it mattered to the Lord. I got that man on the phone and I was weeping. I said, listen, I need to talk to you. I got so convicted when I left. I, I, when I talked to you, I, he said, what's he said? No, brother. He said, man, I was so convicted by what you told me. I just went right to prayer. He said, you gave me amazing wisdom. It's really going to help me. I can tell it's going to change this situation. I said, you're missing the point. When I talked to you, I, I, I said it from a place and I need to just say, please forgive me. It's, it's from a 
conscience sake, etc., etc., etc. And he said, look, I don't even really know what you're talking about. It's all cool. I love you and respect you. Thanks for the wisdom. And we hung up. And I realized God was doing that for me to be a steward of my heart so I never just give people wisdom, give them advice, give them what I think is right, but that I actually value them and see them from the place through His blood. Not like, boy, I wish they'd get the point. Why don't they get the point? Well, how many times are they going to call me this week? Listen, man, Billy, it's this way. This is your answer, bud. I don't want to touch you like that. Come on. You're not a pain in my somewhere. I love you. You're worth his blood, and I get that. He wants us to get that towards one another. He doesn't want you to ever touch another person wrong. He doesn't want men using women and women using men. He doesn't want relationships to be manipulation and usury. He wants love. And I promise you we will never walk this if we don't seek Him and have a relationship with Him and let Him become the fullness that fills us. We, without realizing it, just keep living the way we've always lived in the name of the Lord and find ourselves through these things. Christianity will look like this. And it's not in that book. Are you guys with me? I didn't read love yet. Are you guys all right? This is like... I'm excited about these messages. I preach them in my own heart to myself all the time. I'm my best accountability partner. (laughs) Serious. Like, I don't need to call Roy to keep an eye on me to keep me straight. If you're doing that, you probably just get born again or get right with God. <laughs> just deal with your heart. Say, well, brother, I need you to call me every day to make sure I'm praying. You already got the conviction, man. Crucify your flesh and go get alone and shut a door even if you don't feel like it in the moment. I remember there was times, and you might not relate to this, but there was times where my heart said, Go get along with God. And I'm thinking, man, I've been spending a bunch of time. I was praying. It's like, go get along with God. There's, you know, something to pray. Something I'm like, man, I'll do it later. I don't and it was like, wait a minute. You know, my, my, my spirit's willing. My flesh is weak. He said that to the people that weren't praying. So I'm not going to let my flesh, I'm going in. I would go in the bedroom just because I didn't want to submit to just certain emotions and feelings. I close the door and have these ridiculous more than, any other time these things with God, it was fun. And it just kind of trained me and conditioned me in a certain way. So where you just love to be with Him, amen? So you don't read your Bible because it's the Christian thing to do. And hey, I'm going to church, man. If Roy asked me where I've been feeding, I better at least read a paragraph. <laughs> People used to do that in our church because my pastor always would say, so where are you feeding, buddy? What's God been saying to you? What did you hear this morning from the Lord? And people would be like, you know, they didn't even, because they didn't, they hadn't opened their Bible for a week. And then they'd feel condemned. I guess you should be reading my Bible. No, you don't read your Bible to qualify. You read your Bible to know him. If he's the giver of life and he's the truth, we probably will fill our heart with it, huh? Okay, let me finally read this, and I'll close. We'll get home on time. The end of 1 Corinthians 12. I just, I just want you to understand, when I got saved, I opened my Bible. When I got home, I opened my Bible for the first time in about eight years. First time in about eight years. And when I opened it up, 
I was right on this page. Said earnestly desire the best gifts in for 31 of chapter 12. And when he writes that, he's talking all about gifts. We're all apostles, prophets, we're all workers of miracles, gifts. He's talking about how the church is diverse but one body. It's just awesome. You've got to read it in context. So at the end, he's saying, so earnestly desire the best gifts. And right as he's saying it, it's like he goes, oh. he says, yet I'll show you a more excellent way. He's not taking away desiring the gifts. He's saying, let me show you a better way. I don't want you to just desire the gifts. I know I just told you that because they're important, but let me show you how that works. That's what he's doing. And he writes a whole chapter on love. He ends the chapter with, love's the greatest, so pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. Isn't that awesome? So what's first? Pursue and love. All the gifts flow out of who he is. They flow out of the wellspring of love. It's the most healthy place to live your life. So watch this. Verse 1 says, though I speak with the tongues of men. Is that on there, the screen behind me? Okay, I seen eyes looking up there. I didn't know if there was an angel. I was hoping, man. I was thinking, man, then I'll have a lot of confidence here. I'll be like, this is, this is good word, man. I seen everybody's eyes right above me. I thought, ah, it's probably just the screen. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass clanging symbol. So you can tell somebody what they need to do and what they need to be, and you can tell them what the Word says. Well, unless it's your life, you probably don't even have the grace to impart that thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Watch this. If somebody doesn't see peace in your life or joy in your life, and you're trying to tell them why they can have joy, and you're drawing an identity from your ability to maybe speak into their life, it gets weird. People don't even want to hear what you're saying because they're not seeing that in your life. It's, this is simple. Come on, this is simple. Now this one gets me. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, I'm not by any way demeaning these gifts. This is Bible, watch. Though I have the gift of prophecy, he just says in verse four to chapter 14 that all might prophesy. He, he says that's like that you all might prophesy. So he's putting that pretty high on the gift list, but he's using it here. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand some mysteries, all mysteries and all knowledge. I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge. Now watch. Have all faith so that I could remove mountains. So if it's all faith, he's talking about all mountains, isn't he? That's a spiritual icon right there. That's the keynote speaker at every world conference. Everybody's thronging that person for impartation and hands laid on them. Dude, I want what you got. He just describes the closest thing to Jesus we've ever seen. The gift of prophecy, all knowledge, all mysteries, all faith, all mountains. Bam! That sounds like redemption at its finest. That sounds like something we're all going after. He says, if I have all that, I have it. It's in my life. And I don't have love, I've missed the whole point. That's intense. Then he goes on to say, he says, I, and I have not love, I'm nothing. 
And though I bestow, because why? You're living out of your gift. Your gift will identify you. You'll still get hurt in your heart. Your marriage could still collapse and fall apart. And you can still take your wife personal instead of Jesus, even though you're being moved on by Jesus for others. Happens all the time because people let their gifting decide their value and their identity, not their relationship with him. Come on, in Mark 3, it says he called them to himself who he himself wanted, and they came to him. You say, well, he's talking about the disciples. He's talking about you because no one comes to the Father unless he's strong. If you have a remote desire for God, it's because he's wooing your heart. Why would he draw you? Because he wants you. And it says in Mark 3, verse 13, he ordained them that they might be with him. We think ordained is a word that makes you a minister. It's the word that means appointed. He appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to heal and, 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 and preach and do mighty things in his name. What was first? That they be with him. What with him result into? Ministry. Where did ministry come from? Being with him. People say, man, if I could just get into ministry. Stop that. You're full time all the time. Love never ceases or fails. You've got a whole world around you. Your sphere of influence is your mission field. Your everyday life is, is, your, is your ministry. I asked Jesus a long time ago. I said, I don't understand ministry. I was crying. There were some things. I felt a lot of things about church were troubling me. I was, I was a leader now. I'm on the board. Sometimes it felt like a business. I just, there was things I had to walk through. And I said, I don't understand ministry. And he said, ministry's simple, Dan. It's just loving people. It's all it is, loving people. And I remember crying and laughing. I can do that. <laughs> Yes, I can, because he first loved me. Amen? So here's the one that really gets me too. Though I'd bestow all my goods to the poor. Now the poor get your goods. You bestow all your goods to the poor. Didn't he say to remember the poor? Is it a commandment of God to remember the poor? He uses a commandment of God, and he uses the best gift described by Paul as his examples. That's not an accident. He says, though I give all my goods to the poor and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. It's amazing. Well, the poor gets your goods, but it doesn't profit you anything. If it's not for love, it has to be for some other reason. It's going to get twisted and it's going to blow up. Really? Come on. Watch. Love suffers long. People say, well, hey, you better not pray for patience. God will give it to you. It's a joke in the church. Like people say, watch, praying for patience. Like God's going to throw you in these strenuous, trying situations and form patience. Like the great potter working out the hard, unpliable clay. You know? You better be, did you ever hear that in the church? You better be careful, pray for patience. God will when you say I need patience, you're saying I'm not perfected or formed in love. Why would you go for the attribute? Just become love and you get it all. It's an indictment against us. You say, oh, I've been praying for patience, brother. Love is patient. What you're saying is I haven't become love. 
I still take people personal when they bother me and I'm trying to get along. No, that's the world. And it's just so self-righteous because what you're saying is if they do everything I need them to the way I need them to, we'll be okay and I'll put up with a little, but don't push me too far. Boy, it's good that ain't God, huh? Whoa. (laughs) Love suffers long. It's kind. It's not mean. What do you want? (laughs) Honey, what? Come on. I'm going to be... You can't live that way if you have relationship with Him. And if you live that way, it means you're not pursuing relationship. It doesn't mean you're not going to church. You can't live that way and have relationship with Him. It's scripturally impossible. I didn't even say you're not doing your daily devotions. I'm not talking about devotions. I'm talking about intimacy and relationship where you give yourself to Him and He gives Himself to you. Where you yield yourself to Him and He fills you with who He is. I'm not talking about having a breakdown someday and getting a little touchy and catching yourself. I'm talking about just being mean. Love is kind. Not pushy, touchy, and intolerant. Religion is pushy, touchy, and intolerant. I've met people that can quote the Bible ten times better than me. And they are mean. And their disposition is nasty. And I'm thinking the devil's almost afraid of them saying, what did I do? I've met people, they they know the Bible, they've read the Bible, their boast is, I've read the Bible more times than you've opened a book, boy. Okay, wow. That's impressive. You know? Don't tell me about Jesus. I've been preaching Jesus for 50 years. You might have been preaching Him, but you sure don't know Him. So I'm not sure what you've been preaching. Because you can't give what you don't have. People say, we better be careful how much you minister. You're going to get dried out. People will burn you out. That's because you're ministering out of the inside of your cup instead of the overflow of your cup. You can't dry me up. It's impossible. No one ever drank out of my cup ever in 20 years. You're playing in my saucer. You can't reach my cup. I have never been tired of ministering to people in my life. I don't even understand people that understand that. It's like, it's a misconception. Well, people making such a draw, you know, you got, hey brother, you've been down in the valley, you poured out, you better crawl back up to the mountain while you still have strength. No, it's called living in Christ. He anointed my head, my cup runneth over. He strengthened me like a wild ox, not a domestic ox. Why? Because you can't yoke a wild ox and bring it into bondage to serve something. 
You yoke this powerful animal, this ox. You yoke an ox. Do you know what a yoke is? You stick him on a thing that harnesses him, and when he walks, it forces him in a circle. This massive beast just walks in a circle and treads out the grain for the person. And he's yoked, and all he can do is walk in circles and fulfill the will of another. Come on, that's like, whoa, that stuff's powerful to me. I'm like, whoa, these terms, the yoke, we need to know where it came from. He strengthened us like the wild ox. You ain't putting that thing on that wild ox. <laughs> he goes snort and bellow and freak out and probably break something. <laughs> Come on, it's serious stuff, man. I'm laying on my couch one day, and the Lord said, He said, uh, the, the Charlton Heston movie, Moses, came to my mind. The Lord must have watched it. <laughs> Came to my mind. And <laughs> I'm serious. And then the scripture of David about pulling me out of the miry clay. You guys know the song. He saved me from, he pulled my feet out of the miry clay. What were they doing in Egypt? They were treading out the straw in the, in the mud. Did you ever see Charlton Hester? They're in the mud, man. They're in the miry clay. And they're making bricks, pouring straw, and they're doing it with their feet. They're treading out the stuff, and then they make it and dry it and, and make these bricks. Why? To build the kingdom of another. And they were God's people. And the Lord said, that's what sin is, Dan. It yokes people made in my similitude and image binds their heart, blinds their heart, and causes them to work for the kingdom of another. He said, I have set your feet out of the miry clay. Put you in a broad place. Set you on a rock that is higher than I. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I am not stepping out that brick. <laughs> he said, every time, a man willfully walks in sin. Every time a man gives his heart to us, he's living in a place of bondage under Pharaoh's thumb and he's serving him to build his kingdom. Remember, you're either for me or against me. Gather to me or scatter. You better take me seriously tonight. Your attitudes matter more than maybe we've ever considered. The message you send to others matters. The young hearts that are watching you. When they lined them kids up and I had a God moment and I cried uncontrollably, it's because I realized they're innocent. Some of them kids were so... Shana, your little girl busted through the door today and jumped on me. I haven't seen her for a year. Yesterday she saw me and was like, you brought her over to me and she's like... <laughs> And I know she's like that with folks, but she ran to me. You were sitting right there, Chad. Was it awesome? And I said, you are so precious. Thanks for loving on me. You are so beautiful. And she was on my lap. <laughs> she's just looking like... And I said, look at these boots. Oh. And she's like... Am I making this up? And I sit her down and she's like... What was I looking at? Absolute innocence. And you know what the spirit of the world is out to do? At a very young age, take that from them. 
take that from me. He said, unless you become like a little child. What's he talking about? Unless you restore back to that place of innocence where you're not marred by what wasn't, what they didn't do, and who they didn't. And you don't let anything decide who you are but him. You get back to that place of innocence. Not childishness, childlikeness. A little child. He said a little child. Why? Because it's not long up where the world is set on taking away their innocence. All she knows, this is so easy. She ran to me. That's what every one of us should. Look, is God the best father? Is God the best father? Yes. Does he need a parenting program? No. So is God like got any problems with fathering? No. Then why isn't everybody running to sit on his lap? Maybe it's not a father issue all the time. Maybe we don't know how to be sons and daughters. Maybe we don't know how to receive love and correction. And maybe we don't walk in humility. God's the best father there ever will be. That doesn't mean everybody's sitting on his lap to be fathered by him. There's some people running as hard as they can. And it's not because of the father. Come on. Oh, that's got some folks thinking I can feel that one. Maybe it's about us being sons and daughters. Maybe it's not a father issue all the time. And even if it was a father issue, why do you let where your father isn't determine where you are? Look, why do we say, I drank because my dad drank? Why don't you not drink because your dad drank? Why is it always an easy excuse to live in the flesh? Why is it always somebody else's fault? Adam, did you eat the tree? It was the woman you gave me. It started in sin. It started right there. The first expression of sin was blame shifting, self-defense, self-justification, and self-protection. And you and I have lived in it, and we've all got an A+. plus. He said to put that off and put on the new. Why wouldn't they did it if they wouldn't? Well, they started it. That's not the issue. Why'd you finish it, and why'd you engage? Why do you let what men don't see determine what you do see? Why do you pay evil for evil, overcome evil with good? He said, don't you ever avenge yourself. You leave place for God's wrath. You walk in love. You show mercy. Love fulfills the law, does no harm to a neighbor. As much as it depends on you, you be at peace with everyone. That's all right there in Romans 12. It's powerful. I read it all the time. I read that stuff all the time. I read in Timothy. I read where he says perilous times are coming. Men are going to look this way, but this is the way they really are. And I'm thinking I don't ever want to find one of those things in my heart or in my life. And I read those lists just to keep my conscience clear and worship Jesus that I'm free. I'm serious. That's what I do. (laughs) It's just right to me. Love suffers long. It's kind. Love doesn't envy. It's not puffed up or parading around. It's not looking to be noticed or seen, right? Doesn't behave rudely. It, oh, here's a big one. It does not seek its own. Do you know people believe the people closest to you can hurt you the most? Fascinates me because they're the ones we say we love. And love doesn't seek its own and it's not provoked by anything and it doesn't be, it's not moved by anything that's done to it wrong. Love takes no account of the things that it suffers wrongly. What account? No account. So we say, well, brother, the people closest you can hurt you the most. And it puzzles me because they're the people we say we love. And love takes no account of the wrongs done to it. So why are we so trashed? 
Maybe our love has to grow from need, I need you, to I love you. Because when it's I need you, you're failed. When it's I need you, you're unfulfilled. When it's I need you, you're dependent. And your joy and disposition is based on the other. And how you're doing today has a whole lot to do with how they are treating you instead of who he is inside of you. And if that's the truth, you'll never overcome evil with good. You'll become a product of what's not right. And it'll just keep being reproduced in a vicious cycle. And then we say we're falling in love, out of love. <laughs> just all the stuff we say, it's just not God. So let's put on the new. What do you say? Well, I'm provoking you tonight. I'm just challenging you in some things. There's some of these things sitting here. I'm not always preaching because there's stuff wrong in the room, but some of this stuff is challenging some folks. I can feel it in my heart. Challenging some marriages. Don't elbow your wife or your husband. That, that surely means I'm talking to you. If you've elbowed your spouse, you've missed the point. I'm talking to you. If you're hearing the sermon for the other, you've closed your ears. See, because I'm not because that's a trap. If it's like, if, if if Roy and Patty were struggling with something, and I'm here talking like this, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is God. And Roy's going, Patty, hope you're listening. I'm just saying it because it would be so comical to see that happen with them in a sad way because it's just not happening. These guys love each other. It's awesome. It's because they pursue love. It's not a special gift. It's something you give yourself to. Well, they're pastors. They got a special grace. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> if you do that, you'll miss the example they're setting. You won't pattern yourself after, like Paul says. You purpose to love. It takes no account. It doesn't mean they've always done each other totally right. You cover things with love. You bear with one another. You want the best for one another. You give yourself to one another. You don't need one another at the cost of being disappointed. That's not love. That's need. That's insecurity. That's what Jesus takes care of so that you don't bring that into your relationship. Jesus makes you full and complete. He shows you who you are. Now you can look and truly love, not need. You don't say, I love you. Do you love me? You say, I love you. Come on. That's powerful. <laughs> when I gave my wife my renewed wedding vow on the night she got set free in the bathroom, I didn't know it was happening. I was seven weeks old in the Lord. Come on, that's like spiritual huggies and you need powdered and rocked by the Lord, we think. She come running out in the yard ball and she's got a revelation. She prayed for me for 13 years and I was unloving and insensitive and mean. Can you picture that? You shouldn't be able to. I'm born again. <laughs> disregarded her for 13 years and ran her battery dry. She didn't have the revelation we have now. So I ended up deciding who she was. And when she gave up on her marriage, she gave up on God. You know why? And I'm giving up on you. This was her words. She told me. You left me suffer for 13 years. I prayed to you for 13 years. And you just let that man stay the same and put me and those kids through all that hell. I'm done with you too. Boy, that makes rational sense. That would probably almost carry some weight in a court. Now we got to put God on the witness stand. Is it true that you've allowed her for 13 years to just go, 
Ah. Now she's in the bathroom doing her hair to go out. Heart's hard. God's doing a work in her. She's shifting. She sees I'm changed. She don't want to believe it because she's angry. Jesus comes in the bathroom. She did that to him five months earlier, six months before. Don't need you. He didn't come in the bathroom and like, is it all right if I talk to you? (laughs) He didn't come and like, look, I'm really sorry about the 13 years. Can we talk? Nope. And the beauty and glory of who he was, he just came in the bathroom. (laughs) And she went, and just froze. She told me it was overwhelming. She just froze. The love of God came in. And he, his voice spoke to her heart. And he said, Kim, why are you so mad at, at that man? Can't you see? And she said, it's like somebody tore something off her eyes. <sighs> all the bitterness and the hurt and the rightness and all the conversations with girlfriends that were hurt too. Why well, just leave him? Why well, wouldn't put up with him? Well, you deserve more than that. Look, you're not getting any younger. You got a life to live. There's somebody out there that'll treat you right. So what? Now you're going to need another relationship to be treated right? Wonder if that don't work. I guess then we'll try again. Then we get so hurt and so hard, and men ain't working. Maybe we'll try something else. I don't know. Come on, guys. It never ends. The whole motive is missed from the beginning. You're not in a relationship for you. You're in a relationship to love. You're willing to give yourself to somebody in covenant and never look back. She cursed God in literally in her heart. I don't need you. You were never there for me. You let me. And God didn't say, fine then. Hey, walk off the earth. Fall into darkness. See if I care. Forget you. Don't need you. No. Nope. The right time, he showed up in the bathroom completely secure. <laughs> Can't you see that's not the man you're angry with? And he said this to her. I like it. He said, in fact, Kim, it's not the man you married. I have made him a brand new man. Because <laughs> God can't lie. Guess what I am? Brand new, like it or leave it. I'm telling you, I'm brand new. <laughs> she collapsed on the ground crying because she couldn't deny it. God showed her. She's in, she said she was laying on the bathroom floor ball. And he hovered over her and this is what he said. Jim, you're right when you say I didn't answer your prayer for 13 years. But you only ever prayed because you were angry. Because of your pain. You never prayed because you loved Him. You never prayed because of mercy. Kim, you were reduced to another hurting wife that prayed. And I can't answer your prayer because I can't empower that in you because it's not me, because it's not love. That's the wisdom of God. Why would you want God to answer your prayer just because it'll make your life better? It's not about your life. You died, remember? Because if God enables that and changes your husband for that reason, it'll just be somebody else that provokes you and agitates you. And then somebody else says, well, no, God wants the button out of your life. He wants that out of your life. 
So God loves you so much that He left those 13 years and He just said, He actually said, you've bound my hands from answering your prayer because of the motive in which you pray. It was never mercy. It was never love. You never wept for your husband. You cried because of your husband. I weep for him. You weep because of him. There's a difference. She got up crying uncontrollably. I couldn't even believe it. I was out in the garden doing beans. She wouldn't talk to me. She wouldn't approach me. She wouldn't pursue me. She was not happy with me. And the door banged open and she came running across the yard. And I'm, I'm holding the rake and I see her coming and she's coming hard. And, she, and she's, and she's crying. And I thought somebody died. I thought she got the phone call you never want to get. I thought, wow, this is not good. And I hear her repetitively under her breath, Bob. She's going, watch what she's doing. I'm a wretch for 13 years. I'm her biggest problem. I'm her biggest pain in the neck. She's praying for me to change because it'll make her world better. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Poor girl, she was only saved six months when I met her, and I sure did a good job of drying that up. Bam, bam. Villain, victim, villain, victim. Great talk show but nobody wins. Guess what she's saying the whole way across the yard? Who knows that my heart's changed? I wish I could make it right. Who knows I want an opportunity to love her and be like Christ for the first time in my life? Who knows that I want to say I'm sorry? Who would agree if I'm really in Christ and sincere that I want to make peace and make this right and live the life I was created to live? Guess what she's saying coming across the yard because light shone in her heart. Got her eyes off of me and put her eyes on her. Jesus is amazing. His wisdom rules and reigns. She's running across the yard going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That would offend people. Her friends would say, what are you sorry for? He's a wretch. He mistreated you. You don't deserve what he gave you. In fact, you shouldn't even hug him. Get your arms off of him. He hurt you. No, that's what God was straightening out in the bathroom. Amen. Leave that earthly wisdom aside and let it die and let it no more remain in your hearts. Here's my wife. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. And she's running dead for me. She didn't stop. I'm standing there and I'm already starting to cry because this is, I'm like, why is she sorry? What's she doing? Nobody died. Why is she sorry? And it started to bother me that she was sorry because I was sorry. <laughs> about the worst risk we could have run is fighting over who's sorrier. <laughs> no, it wasn't even like that. It was just, we're sorry. Bam! She wraps around me. And she lays her chest, her head into my chest and wraps around me, willingly hugging me for the first time in six months. Why? Because I preached at her, because I told her I changed, because I cried in insecurity and said, we need to get our marriage restored. No, because I was so secure, it was almost ridiculous. I had no need of nothing. I had him and he made me love. My wife couldn't hurt me. She couldn't shake me. She couldn't move me. She couldn't get a rise out of me. She couldn't find flesh in me. All she kept bumping into was the spirit of the living God. She'd sneak in unannounced and catch me leading the kids in worship and how to worship Jesus. She'd try to catch me doing old things and old things were gone. She was looking for an excuse to not believe, looking for an excuse to stay hurt. And Jesus kept pulling them away and stripping them away and breaking them down. And one day he said, look, honey, your motive's got a twist in it. She, now she's hugging me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, why are you sorry? Kimmy, don't you realize now I'm bald? And it was a cry fest. It was slobbery and messy. It was just, Wah. And I'm like, don't you understand that? I've been wanting to say, I'm sorry. I've never been a man of God in your life. I've never been sincere. I've never, God, I've done so much injustice and argue. Otherwise, she said, no. 
I'm sorry. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she says, because I only ever prayed for you because I was mad at you. I only prayed for you because of me. I never prayed because I loved you. I never cried for you. I never had mercy in my heart for you. And God couldn't answer my prayer because it was all about me. Forgive me for making it all about me. I'm like, well. <laughs> we talked about a couple other things and I pushed the little shoulders back. Today, can I renew my wedding vow to you? She went, huh? Because I didn't know this was happening. I'm a pretty spontaneous fell. <laughs> Jesus in me. I took her little shoulders, I looked her right in the eyes, and she said, huh? I said, I want to renew my wedding vow to you. I didn't even know what I was going to say. I didn't know this was happening. I didn't have a bunch of crumpled papers by the light stand and bags under my eyes or dark circles. This was all coming out of my heart in a moment. Oh, seven weeks old in the Lord. I won't lay hands on anybody with that hand. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm falling apart. <laughs> I took her little shoulders and I said, I'm calling them little ladies like that. So. <laughs> I just realized I keep saying her little shoulders because she's tiny little. <laughs> he said something so funny today. Little Jackson was asking about something and he said, no, that's not going to work. But he said, but dad, he said, nope, I'm telling you, you got five feet of reason right over here. And he pointed to Patty, five feet of reason. Why? That's not going to. And it was something to do about overseeing and loving and caring for his benefit, like watching him over and safety. You know, young kids are like, hey, I'll be fine. And mamas are like, whoa, I don't know about that. He said, look, I'm telling you, it's going to work. In fact, I can give you five feet of reasons. <laughs> that was so sweet. But I took my wife's shoulders and I looked her right in the eyes and this is what came out of my spirit. I'm so thankful that he's my teacher. He said, you owe me nothing in this marriage but to receive the love of God from me. And as long as I draw breath on this earth, I will serve you in his unfailing love. And she went, okay. <laughs> And I didn't say, now, wait till I grab a pen and paper. I need to hear yours. Because love doesn't say, I love you. Do you love me? Love just says, I love you. And that's all it ever says. We had about two years of an amazing, most ridiculous, undescribable marriage that's there for every couple. It's it just ridiculous. God taught us what love looked like together. It was and then I started growing and I became a pastor and people were like, oh, wow, you, the, uh, God uses you and well, some healing, so this stuff's going on. My wife started to believe that the people said hi to her because she was my wife, not because she was awesome. They started, she started to think that every high Kim was rhetorical, that every acknowledgement was because she's with me and she needs acknowledged because she's my wife. And she started to lose the sight of her own value in her own eyes. And for six years, my wife was in extreme, horrible identity crisis and I had no ability to reach her because she believed it. It wasn't a demon. 
It was a lie. And I'd say, sweetheart, do you understand? And she'd look me right in the eyes and say, well, you're supposed to tell me that. Doesn't mean it's true. Sure good that that vow came out of my spirit, huh? She needs Jesus more now than she's ever needed Him. She doesn't need a frustrated, exasperated husband. She doesn't need a husband that's saying, look, you're putting weight on my shoulders, you're pressuring my life, you've got to walk with me. No, I've got to walk with Him. If I walk with Him, I'll be fine no matter what's going on with her, and I'll always have something to give her. So for six years, I just loved her. And I grew in Christ leaps and bounds. I didn't know how to complain. She's not my problem. She's my wife. She's going through a hard time, and I'm privileged and honored to lay down my life and follow my king. The last thing I need is a complaint, an attitude, and call a friend, pray for me. It's hard. It's not hard. It was never hard. Love isn't hard. It's the will of God. It's my created value. And it's when I'm at my best. Yeah. Six years goes by and Jesus walks her. It's a long story. I won't get into it. He walks her out of that lie. And she's doing absolutely great. For the last bunch of years, she's doing great. But I tell you what, if I don't understand what I'm preaching to you all night, we're a statistic. And I've got my reasons. Now I'm trying to push forward and try to live my life, but this thing has too much of a voice. I'm not condemning you if you've been through this and you've become a statistic. Don't let this season decide who you are and don't carry this into something new. Get resolved and get healed and get free in Christ and get restored. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. Love doesn't think evil. I tell the story one night. Can you sit that there for me? I tell the story one night when I was looking for a fallen girl that we were helping and she went back into drugs. And I ran into the city. I was doing a Sunday night service and an elder came over right when I was ready to preach. In fact, I was preaching. He got my attention and I said, excuse me, there's got to be something important. I went over and he said, we can't find so-and-so. She left the house. And I said, what? Yeah, we think she went into the city. I said, no way. My eyes filled with tears. She was doing so good. She went back like sell her body. She's going to do a sexual advance for a man. A man's going to take advantage of her and hand her 20 bucks for a sexual advance so she can get high. That's pretty tough, man. She was doing so good. So I went in a crack house to look for her. Couldn't find her. It's funny how you know where crack houses are, but they're there. I went to another one and parked in front of it, and I was trying to decide which one it is, and it's pretty easy to find them. You just look for the traffic. I was going to go in it. I'm not afraid to go in there. Come on. What's the worst somebody could do? Shoot me? I'm not going to die. Come on, let's get over ourselves. You know, you think that's arrogant when you hear a preacher talk like that. 
had policemen surround me in a, a service because there was threats because people didn't like what I was preaching. Somebody apparently was really whacked, man. They thought somebody wanted to kill me. And the cops, four of them, were undercover to take me and escort me to the hotel and make sure nothing happens to me and they're going to watch over me the rest of the time. Be my security guards. I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, guys, you're, 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 you're honored. We love you. There's a place for you in society, but this is not the place. I said, these are threats. It's intimidation. If I submit to it, I'm going to need you the rest of my life in ministry. If somebody says they're going to kill me, let's see if they can. Let's let this thing unfold. But you ain't protecting nothing. I'm in him and he protects me. See, you think I'm arrogant, but you might not have been in my shoes that night. I know I'm not afraid of death. Because I had a chance to be. I had a cult leader in the state of Washington in my face, freaking out because I was moving in God. And somebody got healed at a big bus stop. And God started to show up. And he came and tried to distract. And rah, 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 and he's ranting. And God showed me that he had a 9 millimeter in his pocket. And he kept saying, we're all going to the same place. We're all going to the same place. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, we're all going to die. And I leaned right in his face and I said, that's where you're wrong, son. He said, you can pull out a nine millimeter and stick it in my chest right now and pull the trigger because I ain't never going to die. And I looked him right in the eyes and said it with a big smile and it freaked him out and he took off running. <laughs> Because it was the devil. I didn't want him to run. I found him later. And I pleaded with him and cried and I kissed him on the forehead and his friends kicked the glass and banged their hands on some things and ran away. And I ministered to him and I kissed him on the forehead and left him sitting there like this. I saw him a half hour later walking down the street like this. I don't do that stuff because I'm a minister. I do that stuff because I love people and they matter. He was in my face, guys, trying to distract what God was doing. He's not bigger than God. Why do you let him be? When he distracts you, he just won. When you take his attitude personal, you need to grow. When you love him like Jesus' shed blood and body loves him, now we're talking. Don't you let anything own your heart but Jesus, people. I was in town looking for that prostitute uh, or that, that lady that fell and a prostitute peeked her head in my window and said, hey honey, what are you doing in these parts of town? She's trying to solicit me. I'm the wrong person. I'm, I'm not the person to solicit. You can't even, you can't even remotely tempt me with that. I don't care how beautiful the world says your body is. I don't care how alone we are and how much nobody will ever know. I am the wrong person if you ain't ready for Jesus. Because I had her wrist like a cobra snake. So quick she couldn't get it out of the way. She said, what are you doing in these parts of town? And I had her wrist and I burst into tears. And I said, I think the real question is, what are you doing in these parts of town? And she's trying to get away. She's a city girl. I grew up in the city. I understand all that stuff. She's trying to get out of my grip and I won't let her go. She said, let me go. I said, no girl, what are you doing in this part of town? 
And I said, you know, if you knew who you were, and I started to preach the gospel. And she said, who are you? Who are you? And I said, I think you still have the wrong question. The question is, who are you? And I began to minister to her. And I'm crying profusely. And I told her why I was there. And I said, I know you know this girl. Don't play me. I need to find her. It's so important. And I said, I love her. She said, why should I take you to her? I said, because I love her. And I was born. I said, not like a man loves her. This isn't a domestic thing. It's a kingdom of God thing, just like I'm crying for you. I said, please get in my car and take me to her. Never even thought about it. I'm putting a prostitute in pastor's car. <laughs> I'm the pastor of the town. You know why the Lord says avoid the appearance of evil? Because people aren't perfected in love and think evil. You be honest with me. What's a large percentage of the Christian church do when that girl gets in my car on the dark street and we drive away? They don't say, whoa, that girl don't know what she's getting into. She's about to get the kingdom. They say, what is Pastor Dan doing? Oh my God, I thought he was legit. I can't believe this. He's like others. Then you're calling friends, telling them to pray. Because you looked with outward judgment and unrighteous judgment. Love doesn't think evil. And even if you were tempted to think evil, integrity says, get me alone and ask me as soon as possible what's going down, rather than spread a lie and let your heart get into turmoil. The reason God says to avoid the appearance of evil is because men think evil. She is totally safe in my truck. And so am I. And love didn't know the boundaries that we all set. The only reason God makes those rules is to protect weakness in people for thinking wrong things. But God just shielded that moment and grace just let it happen. There was no law in heaven that said she can't get in my car and that we can't be alone. That's just good to protect others. Come on, guys. I was in praying at 6 in the morning in the dark and I was praying and I smelled perfume. It's like, is this the fragrance of the Lord? I turned around there's a lady standing there getting ready to go to work with a little summer skirt on and all made up. And it's dark in the church and she's standing there crying. And I'm like, honey, what are you doing? She said, I came to talk to you. I said, okay. I'm going out to church. I'm going down to my office and out the hall and I'm hitting every light I'm passing. Pow, pow, pow. And I got her little heels behind me. And we're going, I'm out, and I go right out, and she's going to get in my office, and I go right out into the drive, into the parking lot. She says, what are you doing? Why are you running in such a hurry, and why are we out here? I said, because it's just you and I in the church, and there's no way we're just in the church together like this. She said, what are you saying about me? See how people think? What are you saying about me, honey? I'm not saying anything about you. It's the appearance of evil. I said, so that lady right there living in that apartment, She's been thinking of coming to the church. She just peeked out the window and saw me come in to pray and thought, boy, he's a man of God. Six o'clock in the morning praying. Fifteen minutes later, your car pulls up and he sees you walk in. Forty minutes later, you walk out and it's still dark and you drive away and now she's saying, what's going on in that church? I said, honey, we're going to talk out here because we care about everybody. On that night, I'm... If I'd have been convicted, if I'd have thought twice about putting her in the car, I'd have never put her in the car. But I said, get in and take me to the girl. She did. Long story short, I found the girl. The girl wouldn't come with me. 
She told me she couldn't because she was lonely. I said, lonely? You're going to sexually gratify a man in a few minutes for a $20 bill that could care less if you're naked in the alley, dead tomorrow. That's lonely. Now come with me. No, and she ran down the street crying. Next time I saw her face was a year later when I got wind. She was in a certain house, and I walked in, and there was a naked lady passed out beside her. A man cooking in the kitchen, and she's sitting there with a medical stuff on sores and things because she had AIDS. And I walked into the house. There's a naked, strung-out lady, her with bandages, and a man cooking dinner, dealing them drugs, taking advantage of as soon as she saw my face, she cries because I represent something to her. I just held her and wept and prayed with her. And I said, could you put something on her? The next time I saw her face was a year later when she was coding and in a coma because of AIDS. And as she was dying and losing her breath and her voice, she whispered to her daughter, please get Pastor Dan. Why? So I represented Jesus to her in hope and her heart was crying out because she was condemned and she felt like she couldn't be received by him and I was the closest thing that she could get to get to him. And her daughter called me and said, my mom's dying, you've got to get here. I said, she's dying, she's in the hospital, she doesn't have long. She's asking for you. I'd love to tell you a better story, but I ran in there and of course I prayed for her to get up and wake up. I didn't see that happen. I saw her pass 20 minutes after I left. I'll tell you what, I put my mouth to her ear. And I said, it's Pastor Dan, and I know you've done some things and lived in weakness and believed lies, and I know it's convicting you and troubling you and you're facing death, but honey, I'm going to believe God raises you up, but this is what you need to hear. The reason you called me, because all you've seen is me love you. You're safe around me. You know I've never mad at you. You know I've never... You called me because I love you. I love you because he's in me because he loves you. Call on him. Talk to him. Make peace with him. I just, her daughter's over there, Paul. Listen, guys, we don't have to wait till then. You give your life now. I wouldn't have these stories to tell you if I didn't become what I preach all the time. I'd just do ministry and have counseling appointments and I got a lot of cool stories. Love just puts you in the middle of stuff. Teaches you a lot. Listen, guys, we can live this life. I came to stir you up tonight. I took a long time doing it. I'm about on time. I'm just a little later than I wanted to be. We can care about one another. We can get alone with Him and be with Him. Guys, let nothing rise above your ability to be with Him and get to know Him. Don't let anything condemn you from being with Him. That's a lie. That's the devil. Guilt, condemnation, shame. Guilt says I'm not forgiven. Condemnation says I'm worthy to be judged. Shame says it's still who I am. They're all three anti-finished works of Christ. There's no condemnation in Christ. He did not come to condemn you. There's no shame in him. He took it all away. Put a true conviction in my heart. The fact that you feel bad means you're alive inside. 
So don't let it take you to condemnation. Let it take you to him. You couldn't get condemned if you were so wicked. You wouldn't care. The fact that you care, you're being taken advantage of. Some of the purest people I've ever met are sometimes the most secretly and subtly condemned because they feel like they're not living up to their heart cry and they're being judged by their own conscience and soul. And then it shifts over into condemnation. The fact that you care is a good day. The fact that you can cry those tears means you're alive inside and you're not as far off as you think. So the most important thing to do is run to him, not from him. So I'm calling every one of you into that place, relationship with Jesus. Don't let anything harden your heart or bind your heart. Come on, we're a family. Together we make a big difference. Together we touch our spheres of influence in a dynamic way. You get a friend to come here and they might get touched now and then, or you all leave and go into your world living in the light. You touch one at a time as you go and you add it by as many faces as I'm seeing. And in a short while, we have infected and affected a lot of folks with the love of God. That's called the multiplication of heaven. It's not my days going tough. Keep me in prayer. Hey, I'm hanging in there, brother. Come out of the Israelites' wilderness. Come into Jesus' wilderness where he crushed the devil, was tempted at all points without sin, and angels came and ministered to him, and he was anointed with the Spirit and power in the wilderness. The wilderness doesn't dry you up and kill you. (laughs) It's where God's revealed, and it's where what you're really motivated by is revealed, and it's where you're made. You follow me? We don't pray for better circumstances. We pray to know him more. So that when you squeeze me, Jesus fills the room. (laughs) Not me filled with injustice. You shouldn't have squeezed me. No, it's probably okay you did. (laughs) You guys good? Can I pray something over everybody? Listen, you know where your heart is tonight in what I'm saying. You know you. I'm not going to judge you. You know if inside you're saying whatever. If you for some reason are here and saying whatever, I don't think that's happening really. Well, for some reason I'm saying this. If, you, if you're saying whatever, I would challenge you to ask Jesus when you get all alone about what I'm talking about tonight. And you ask Him that if He's real and He means business in these things, to begin to show it to your heart and see what happens. But if you are real and you do want this life, you just put your heart before Him right now. It's not an altar call. It's just receive grace. I want to pray over you. I believe you're hungry. I said to Roy, I said, man, you can tell when folks are well taught. I love this guy, Roy. Not just because he likes turkey hunt, because he's a man of God. He has wisdom. And I just said, I appreciate when people are well taught, man. I could just tell you guys have a good foundation in this house and you're solid. Let's stay fixed and focused and let's influence this community with the love of God without trying to be evangelistic. Amen? Let's just be His. Love is evangelistic. So Father, I bless this house and I thank You for increased wisdom and I thank You for the revelation of love. (laughs) 
Thank you that Annie had faith to get back there and play tonight. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to stay and stand her up for a long time. <laughs> Sorry, that just got on my heart and made me silly. God, I thank you right now that your grace is in this house. And I just pray for grace to come into these people. I just pray that you come row upon row, person upon person, and you just touch our personal individual hearts. Lord, I believe if you touch our individual hearts and we take personal responsibility for our lives in faith, in grace, in truth, it would make so much difference. It's amazing. God, if we're just waiting on others or letting others decide who we are, we're going to miss you. We're going to miss this thing. We might have fun in worship. We might have fun in ministry. But we're going to miss the whole reason. I'm just walking down this aisle and I'm just believing, God, that you're pouring grace out into the hearts of your people. And I just believe that you're healing hearts, taking away pain, taking away every right that's not producing righteousness, taking away memories yesterday, unfortunate things. Don't let any of us live by those things. Let us live by your word and by your truth. Let your love come and lavish us, God. Let your spirit come and settle in us and among us. And let us grow into an unshakable people. And if weakness would walk in this house, let it soon become strong. If a mindset that comes into this house that's not established and weak, let them soon see truth. God, we want to be so solid that people come here and are changed, that people come here and live different lives. We're not just hoping they get more money and we're not just hoping that things go better for them. We, we want them to get new lives. And because you've been putting new life in us with understanding, we thank you you're empowering us to impart new life. Let us never miss the point, God, as a house here in Greenville, our house of God's people. Let us never miss the point. Let us never grow weary in well-doing. And as your love never failed towards us, let our love towards one another never fail. God, let us be peacemakers because blessed are the peacemakers for they are the sons of God. Teach us how to love. Give us wisdom in the moment. We don't want to live by a textbook, God. We just want to live in the moment in your wisdom. Make us like you are. Come on, guys. Let that be your heart. Let grace come on now. In Jesus' name.